Welcome to Gondrepreneur, helping Gondrepreneurs grow and succeed in every sector of the cannabis industry. Gondrepreneur will introduce you to the cannabis pioneers who are paving the way for future generations. Learn about the shifting landscape of the market directly from the experts and get to know some of the leading minds in the industry as they tell their story of struggles and success. Now, CannabisRadio.com presents Gondrepreneur. Hi there, and welcome to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host, The Gondrepreneur.com podcast gives us an opportunity to speak directly to entrepreneurs, cannabis growers, product developers, and cannabis medicine researchers, all focused on making the most of cannabis normalization. As your host, I do my best to bring you original cannabis industry ideas that will ignite your own entrepreneurial spark and give you actionable information to improve your business strategy, improve your health, and the health of cannabis patients everywhere. Today, my guest is Shane Young, founder of Natural Enemies, a distributor of beneficial insects for natural pest management. Glad you could be on the show, Shane. Hey, how are you today, Shango? Doing great. You know, across the country, everybody's talking about pesticides and cannabis right now. In fact, a case was just brought in Colorado last week that carcinogenic chemicals are being allowed in their legal marijuana. Similarly, in Washington State, the WSLCB is not even demanding pesticide testing in the recreational market. Consumers are getting pissed that the recreational market at this point is even less safe than the medical markets were because at least those growers were holistically minded. How can these beneficial insects that you distribute decrease chemical pesticides? Well, using the beneficial insects and predatory mites can actually take out the whole equation of chemical usage. It's an alternative method of management that not a whole lot of people are accustomed to. But what happens is you learn that it's a sustainable way of doing things. It is an effective way of managing your crop and, like I said, can completely take out any type of chemical usage in it. So does it take out the chemical usage because it's, it's more of a preventative? I mean, I mean how, can, how does it, the dynamic work that the insects can totally take you off the bottle? Well, what happens is what I've learned in the past being a grower is that it's always best to prevent a situation rather than coming in and trying to clean one up. It seems like you're always coming from behind to take care of things and it costs you more money to begin with. But what happens is your plant suffers in plant plant health altogether. You're causing stress to the plant with either spider mites or some issue that you have and you're just trying to keep cleaning it up and cleaning it up using beneficial insects and predatory mites is something that you can do preventatively to where you don't have to get to that problem. So basically what growers go back to is just focusing on growing their plant. So let's break that out a little bit because a lot of our audience are both entrepreneurs who are, who are running businesses and then the growers themselves, and I'm sure they want to hear specifically how the pests work. So let's take a common pest that we all hate like spider mites and kind of walk us through your determination and, and what you would actually do with the beneficial insects. Sure. Number one, when I walk into a place or a facility to do a walkthrough with a grower, my main thing and what I've always learned is sanitation really goes a long way. That's going to prevent a lot of disease and also pest issues that you have coming into your crop. Number two, I've always learned that mites or any problem that you generally have, it's going to come in from your soil, it's going to come in from your cutting, or it's going to come in from your employees that are working for you. That's generally the basis of it. So what I try to do is take care of the problem from the root of it, and I actually distribute a soil mite. Its main food source is actually fungus gnat larvae. But what we've learned using it long ago, uh, and it's been around, it's been around for more than 30 years, is that it's 
It feeds on spider mites and their eggs in the soil. It feeds on pupating thrip, root aphids, pathogenic nematodes, etc. There really hasn't been anything that it doesn't control, basically. So sanitation, then you work in your soil, and then if you have a problem from there, then we have a foliar mite that I sell. One of them is called Amblesius phalassus, more of a preventer, but what happens is it feeds on over 60 different types of mites, and that's the best one to use as a generalist. And from there, if you run into an issue, I have one called Phytosulis persimilis that just feeds on the two-spot, and it's really a voracious mite that can really clean up a situation if you can spot one early enough. You know, the application process is really interesting. Thank you for sending up a couple of samples so the staff and I could check it out and, and be better prepared for the show today. So we had a friend of a friend, uh, was one of the only people that we knew who had copped to having a mite problem right now. And so we went over there yesterday and we took one of your canisters. And, you know, I was actually surprised to find out that the mites are already alive in the container. I thought that, you know, they, they would be eggs or something like that. But we popped it open and there are all these like, you know, really small, can barely see it guys. And they're all moving around with this medium that kind of looks like cat litter, I guess. You know, you take off the paper insert and then you put the top in and you kind of shake it like a salt shaker over your plants. And, you know, some of that medium gets on the plants, but what I'm seeing are all these cascading little beneficial mites that are all over the plant. It's really exceptionally easy. And, and it actually reminds me of what I have to do when I have to spray, but this is something I'll only have to do once because I guess the idea is that once I salt shaker them onto the plants, they set up a residency and then do they actually procreate on the plant or do they only live out one life cycle on the plant? Well, first of all, Shango, it's not cat litter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it kind of looks like cat litter. What is it though? (laughs) I know. Generally, it's a sterilized vermiculite or sterilized bran that they use at the insectary. What happens is it does take the place of chemical applications. Uh, What people need to know is that applications may need to, it may need to be multiple applications, but predatory mites are just like me and you. They need a food source in order to mate and reproduce. Um, You can apply a ton of adult mites to your plant, but if there's no food for them, they're just going to go and search for it, basically. And sprinkling them over the plant is one way of doing it. I would prefer to have people do it at the base of their plant because their natural searching methods is to go up, basically. They climb up the plant and search for food is what they do. So that's one way of doing it. But yeah, for you guys to think about it, it, it kind of takes the place of spraying. You don't have to suit up. You don't have to go do it. You don't have to worry about re-entries and causing phytotoxicity to your plants. They do take up residency depending on the amount of food that you have in your environment. What we focus on is to eventually prevent that to where there is no food for them, unless you're comfortable balancing out that threshold of how many mites is too many mites for my plant, basically. So it's really a fine line, and it depends on who the grower is and what their operations are like and what their threshold is. Yeah, I guess when you first mentioned that they only grow if there's food, I was like, oh, man, you'd have to feed them. But actually, technically, since their food are all of these nasty pests, eggs, and the pests themselves, if they've run out of food and they start to die out, it pretty much means that your issue is under control. Am I understanding that right? Yeah, that sounds about right. In order to prevent everything, they have to have a food source to do that. So if there's no food for them, what I've come up with is a type of a program, depending on the grower that I'm talking to, on reapplications. You know, kind of like a person who would go out there and treat for mites, and everybody's different. It could be three days or five days or ten days that people do applications. This has kind of come down to a let's treat your area, let's build up a residency. Number two, we'll go from there, and maybe it's two weeks or maybe it's three weeks or four weeks. Let's give you another application at that point. 
so I was thinking about this last night that, okay, so I've gotten rid of my spider mites and I've added these beneficial mites. So what about the beneficial mites now? Now, now I've got a different kind of mite in my plant. Aren't I just swapping out one infestation for another? Right. Uh, what people need to know about this, Shango, is that the only food source that the predatory mites have are your pest mites. Generally, when you have a two-spot or a broad mite or, or any pest in your crop, what they do is they're causing stress and everything to your plant. They're sucking out the chlorophyll. They're causing or creating webbing for everything. These mites that I send you, their only food is the pest that you have there. They don't create any type of webbing at all. And basically, they're just there to eat and clean up your area so that your crop and anything that you're growing is clean. That almost sounds magical, man. <laughs> From all the experience I've had using bottle and, and getting these different infestations, the idea that the bad mites eat the plant, but the good mites eat the bad mites and nothing else, that sounds like, like a best-case scenario. The mites that we were talking about so far were really easy to apply. What would you say is probably the most difficult beneficial insect that could be prescribed? You mean insect problems to take care of on my end? Is that what your question is? Yeah, like I've been through your catalog and you sell a variety of different types of pests. And I'm just assuming that maybe some of them or at least one of them is not as easy to use as the salt shaker technique that I tried out yesterday. So like if I'm a grower, what's my worst case scenario for using beneficial? Is it just simply putting out eggs instead of salt shakering? Yeah, that's the biggest thing. You know, I sell things uh, for spider mites and thrip and uh, fungus net and aphids and whitefly and all these different things. And I think the biggest one or the one that people would be most comfortable or uncomfortable treating is it's a product called a fetalides, and it actually comes in the larval stage. And all you have to do is you wait for them to hatch out basically before hatch out into adults before that you can release them in your environment. And that's for aphids. Other than that, everything generally comes to us or you in the starving mode because at the insectary, they culture and they pick up your order on Mondays and package it, send it to me. I send it to you. But what happens is you get an insect that is hungry. You get something out there that's looking for food basically. So when you guys receive it or the end end person receives it, the consumer, when they put them in your crop, they're basically just looking for food. So they're going to disperse out and they're going to go look for, you know, they're going to do the job for you. You put them out there and they take care of everything from there. Dude, that's just great. Well, we're going to take a short break and be right back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. After a short message from the sponsors who made this show possible, Gontrepreneur will return. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on mjwellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out mjwellness.com today. Your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R. That's Karcher Insurance. We have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years. We're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis plans for owners just like you to insure your product, your plants, and your pursuits. K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R spells out their full-service insurance services ranging from commercial 
commercial to bonds to personal from life to health and more. Contact the team at CarterInsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R Insurance.com. Contact Karen and the team at Karcher Insurance at 1-844-421-3560. That's 844-421-3560. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the host of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing Cannabis Radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. We're back to help Gondrepreneurs grow. You're listening to Gondrepreneur only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back. You are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, Shango Lose. And our guest this week is Shane Young of Natural Enemies. So Shane, before the break, we were talking about using beneficial insects to clear a garden of whatever nasty pests you may have. And it was actually pretty shocking to find out that the most used insects won't eat the garden, but will just eat the bad pests and then die off on their own. So, you know, as commercial growers are becoming more and more common, we're not talking about necessarily about treating a basement or a garage anymore. We're talking about, you know, 20,000 square feet or more of growing space in a warehouse somewhere. How scalable are these beneficial insects? Well, when you learn the biology of what you're doing and you become comfortable with this, because not a whole lot of people are, you know, nobody knows what I do when I, when people ask me what I do in life and I tell them nobody has ever heard of what I've done basically. So if I wasn't a plant health manager at a commercial greenhouse, I would be in the same boat that they were. So when I come into this dealing with it in a commercial operation, uh, tier one, tier two, tier three in Washington state, it's, I'm not going to say an easy thing to do just because we're, we're kind of starting over. And I'm the person that's trying to transfer all the information and knowledge that I've done and the best way of managing a crop. What becomes difficult, Shango, is when I'm not there on a day-to-day basis. I don't see what these people are seeing every day. But, you know, I'm, I'm very available on the telephone to work with people. I like to walk into a situation and look at everything and talk with them about what they're doing. And, you know, and their practices, not necessarily pest management, but what type of soil they're using, uh, what fungicides, what, you know, what, what nutrients they're adding to their plants. I, I, I need to get a feel of what people are doing. Um, but to answer your question, it is definitely possible. I work with some Tier 1s, some Tier 2s in Washington. And I've had a chance with a couple of Tier 3s that we just haven't been able to nail down you know, the precision on doing this. But I feel it's, it's going to be very simple in the near future. You know, The more education and the more practice, I guess you'd say, I think it's going to be something that's just right around the corner from completely changing and taking out chemical usage in uh, cannabis. Since the primary audience for our show is entrepreneurs, let's let's dig in a little bit to that customer service aspect you were talking about. So, you know, not only are you delivering a product, but there's a lot of education, I would think, in your sales cycle so that the customer knows how to use it and knows how to use it correctly so that they don't, you know, misapply the insects and then end up not solving their problem. Do you find that, you know, the bigger part of your sales cycle is just educating your customer from square one? Yeah, I think you hit it right on the head because, you know, what happened to me is it took me a long time to learn how to do this. 
but educating the customer and learning the like I said the biology of what we're working with is completely different from what anybody has ever been used to. So when I walk into a situation where people tell me that they've used it before and it didn't work, and that's all they say to me, I don't really take offense to it, but I, I can really dig in to ask them, you know, what predatory mites or what they were using, what rates that they were going at and how they applied it. There's a lot of background information that goes into this that really literally took me two to three years to figure out if this wasn't working, then there was a reason why. Um, and that's the biggest thing is, like you're saying, educating people how to do it. And that's what I'm here for. And, and it's not one of those things where you're probably not going to learn the very first time that you do it. But there is people out there that, that catch on pretty quickly. So a lot of it is educating and then just being there for any type of customer service follow-up from there. And that's what I aim for. I can see how the technical applications, like how many mites per square foot, and like that would take a little bit of time for the grower to grok that. But I also would think that you probably have to do a lot of handholding, just getting them to believe in the first place that the beneficial insects will even work because everybody, including me, is so used to chemical solutions that the closer we move along to healthy soils and probiotics and then beneficial pests, you kind of have to get over a hump of just belief in the first place. Yeah, it's funny you mention that because a lot of the time I bring in and, and usually the first sentence after I speak with the growers is I'm really skeptical about this. Like I said, uh, people aren't accustomed to it and getting them to believe is the most, I guess it's the biggest hurdle that I have to come over. There's people that have heard about it but aren't educated on it. And I think what happens is when you walk into something that you're unaware of, you're skeptical from the very beginning until you see it firsthand that it actually happens. So being a believer of it, it, it took me that I guess that aha moment to actually see something earlier in the show you brought up of this type of management being magical. And it's funny that you say that because that's what I always tell people that I work with. You know, I used to use chemicals all the time. And I said, then it got to the point where I would just put out predatory mites and it would take care of my problems. I said it was like a magic trick, basically. So, But I was given a lot of leeway and a lot of time to use this and to research and look into this. But yeah, it, it's something that's educating people to learn how to do it the right way and applying to X amount of plants and your surface space. And there's a lot that really goes into it. So let's say that I have got a 20,000 foot grow and, and I decide to go with the beneficial insects and I apply them to my crop. So I guess my goal should be that they eventually die out because that means then I don't have any pests. So is the idea that I would hopefully just apply a preventative at the beginning and not get the bad mites, and then I would just apply that at the beginning of every cycle? Is that the optimum, or should I plan on applying preventative mites and also plan automatically to be including the predatory mites a few weeks in? Yeah, what I try to do with people is it is a preventative measure. It's a timing thing as well. So depending on when people start to see them in their operation, whether it's a clone or in veg or in flower, whenever their main concern is, I I try to be very specific with people on when to apply it. But it's real difficult. It becomes a a guessing game on, you know, I tell people apply it, you know, a week ahead of time that you normally see spider mites and they look at me like I'm crazy. But once you start seeing it, you know, you generally know when you have problems in your area and you can do applications at that point. But what happens is they don't necessarily all go away. The predatory mites will feed, they will reproduce, but if they exhaust their food source, then there's going to be nothing left for them to live in your environment. 
And so what I've tried to do is build a type of a program for people, whether it be two-week applications or every four weeks, trying to do something preventatively in case there is something there for that second application, that there is some type of food for them to feed on and to maintain in your crop. But I've just come up with a type of a pot count is what I do, rather than a square footage or a canopy. I like to treat the soil, like I said, and then predatory mites above if necessary. But again, it's a learning curve on something new, and I'm just here to help out with whatever people are are interested in. So if I'm the operations person at this commercial grow and I want to make sure that I've got the beneficial insects in stock to be pulled for the grower, you know, the master grower in the business, is that something that I can do? I mean, because since you ship them live, I would think that maybe I should be more on like a subscription that you automatically send them to me instead of stacking them in in a supply closet because I would think that if I try to put them in a supply closet they will you know be dead in 10 days or something is do I, is that the right idea Yeah for the most part there's no storage on these and what I've learned is depending on where you get your product from you want to use healthy, thriving, beneficial insects for this so what I do is I, I don't grow them on my own I actually purchase from an insectary they've been in business for over 30 years so this isn't you know, something new to them. It's, it's been around for quite some time, but just taking effect in the last 10 years, it's been escalating quite a bit. So on a weekly basis, yes, I try to put, like I said, I try to put programs together for people. Like you're saying, every two weeks or three weeks or four weeks, it's not an option for somebody to keep them in the refrigerator. That's actually one thing that you don't want to do is refrigerate these things. I try to deliver them to the end user, the grower, at the optimal times on, like I said, when they're hungry and they need to be released basically right away. So instead of coming out on a Thursday afternoon and finding spider mites in your crop and going and spraying two days later, you need to wait a week out for ordering for me. So that mentality is completely different as well, using an alternative method of pest management and then also trying to figure out how to get them to you in a timely manner. And, and again, that's why I've tried to build a program for people on this is about the right time that we need to do this. Right on, right on. I follow you. Well, hey, we need to take another short break. We'll be right back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. After a short message from the sponsors who made this show possible, Gontrepreneur will return. InternetMarketingNinjas.com is the online dojo of the highly trained and skilled Internet Marketing Ninjas. Disavow documents, reconsideration requests, Panda and Paywin penalties. Let our superior SEO ninjas confront all of your link-related issues. Internet Marketing Ninjas are equipped to master any marketing exercise, content creation, authorship, link building, PPC, and more. Plus, build more buzz for your brand with our social media marketing strategy. Discover all that the Internet Marketing Ninjas can do for you. Visit the online dojo now at internetmarketingninjas.com. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. We're back to help Gondrepreneurs grow. You're listening to Gondrepreneur, only on CannabisRadio.com. 
Welcome back. You are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host, Shango Lose, and our guest this week is Shane Young of Natural Enemies. So right before the break, Shane, we were talking about how the chain of custody of beneficial insects comes from an insectary, which has got to be the coolest new vocabulary of the week, and comes through you where you help pick which beneficial insects is going to be best for your client. You educate them, and then you pass them on. That sounds to me like a really smart business model to move actually because you know one of the difficulties of dealing with natural crops whether it be cannabis or apples or insects is that they can die off on you and so in your case you've got a third party who have been creating these insects in bulk for years and you're kind of pushing that risk that like you know their whole colony dies you're pushing that off on them and therefore keeping your risk to marketing and customer service which sounds like a great solution. Do you find that having this decreased risk allows you to sleep a little better at night? (laughs) (laughs) Well, becoming a new business owner does not allow me to sleep any better. So no, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, it does help out quite a bit, uh, you know, but they're the experts and they're the ones that have been doing it. So to stand behind somebody's product and be able to refer that to somebody else, I let the experts do what they're, they're good at. There's no reason for me to take care of that issue. My part is like we talked about is educating because I've used it before. I've done the research on my own. Um, showing people how to use it and make it effective in their crops for them. So, yes, obviously it does help taking that, I guess, that insurance policy out on it. It's not my fault if something goes wrong. I just get what comes off the top of the bend, basically, what they pull for the week, and it's on them what they need to do. So it does help me sleep a little bit, but being a new business owner does not help me sleep a little bit, I guess you know. Yeah. Being farther up the food chain is an interesting business model too. I remember when I was a kid, my younger brother had chameleons and so he raised crickets for them. That wasn't so hard. I have a suspicion though that these mites and other beneficial insects are so small and are so sensitive that it isn't quite as easy to grow them in a sterile environment as some of the other you know, foods like mealworms or something like that. Yeah, and and it's not. uh, This is something that you have to be an expert on, basically. And they're not grown in the clean environment. They're very visible by the by the human eye. But when you culture a predatory mite, you actually have to grow a pest mite as well with that. Again, going back to the food source type of thing, you have to have a two-spot spider mite if you want to culture a predatory mite for that. So um, it's a fine line and balance that I. I don't ever want to get into. Um, I ask a lot of questions about, but, you know, there's a lot of secrets in the industry for that. It's a very small industry. There's not a ton of producers that do it, um, but you want to find the one that really fits for you and works with your company. Yeah, I would think that being in your position as the entrepreneur, you'd be much more satisfied with doing a quality assurance of their product instead of trying to keep big bins or whatever of these mites yourself. Yeah, yeah, take all the headaches away, please. Yeah, right on. So, you know, we were just talking about, you know, diversifying your risk and and having the risk be enough for the entrepreneur as you would want. You know, what advice would you have for other entrepreneurs who are listening to the show who are thinking about, you know, starting their own cannabis business or or like you moving from, you know, general horticulture over to cannabis specific because, you know, it's not for everybody and here you are what like a year and a half into your new business. What things do you wish that you would have known ahead of time? Or what do you have advice do you have to offer? 
I wish I was a wise person, Shango, but, you know, one of these <laughs> things going into it, and, and it might sound cliche, but it was one of those things where I thought <laughs> I, I knew people, I, I knew the limited sources that people had doing this. I knew it was an option for me to go into this, and you just had to, I, I hate to say it, but you just had to jump in and do it. You know, I knew there was going to be hardship and there's going to be differences, at, you know, at your house, basically, because you're jumping into the unknown. You're not funded for the unknown that you have going from a job that you you know, you have your salary, you have your insurance, you have everything to something that really, I guess, makes you feel good about doing and to, to become successful and to see, I'm not going to say my dream, but to see something that you envisioned actually become a reality. I don't know how to take it, really. Um, you still become nervous. You still have to work long hours. You have to do more than you ever imagined that you had to do. So with people going into business, it's just one of the things, and I hate to say it, that I just jumped into it. But the thing is, is I knew I had a solid product to offer people, and I knew I had the information, and I had the backup to do what I'm doing right now. Right on. Well said. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for visiting the show, Shane. I appreciate all your time, Shango. Shane Young is founder of Natural Enemies. You can find out more information at naturalenemiesbiocontrol.com. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur podcast in the podcast section at gontrepreneur.com. You can also find us on the Cannabis Radio Network website and in the Apple iTunes store. On the gontrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news, product reviews, and cannabis jobs updated daily, along with transcriptions of this podcast. To get your cannabis news and podcasts on the go, you can also download the Gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. We're also thrilled to announce that you can now find the show on the iHeartRadio Network app, bringing the Gontrepreneur show to 60 million mobile devices. Thanks to Brasco for producing the show. I am your host, Shango Los. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.